0: So who's
1: to blame the most for Sunday's loss to the New York Giants? And how good is the Bucks' defense? Is Bruce Arians struggling at game management? And where does this year's Rays team rank among the best in club history? Does Felipe Franks, the Gators quarterback, does his injury mean that he comes back for his senior year? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the tampa bay times along with producer steve versnick steve lots of questions about the bucks i'm sure and that loss that they had on sunday to the new york giants of course matt gay missing from 34 yards and uh, what should have been a dramatic uh, finish for the Bucs goes the giants way and daniel jones's debut is successful uh, also the rays uh, of course are right in the thick of the wild card playoff race just a half game as we tape this podcast ahead of the cleveland indians and still chasing the Oakland A's. So we got a busy, busy uh, week coming up in store for everybody, and we got lots of questions.
0: Well, we'll start with that Bucks game. And Isaiah asks, who do you blame more for the loss? Winston's second-half play, the play calling by the coaches, the play of the defense, or Matt Gay? He also asks, how long do the Bucks keep Carlton Davis as their starting cornerback when he keeps giving up key penalties on third downs?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, you know, the easy answer is if your kicker makes a field goal, then you win the game, right? And that he's got one job. Now he made four other field goals. We can get into what Bruce Arian's role was in that, that miss and you know, just this sort of wanting to get him off the right hash mark, which has been a problem. You know, the the bigger thing is to me, as I look back on it, obviously this was an eighteen point lead, okay? And you know, teams come back in the NFL. I mean that happens a lot, but this defense had only given up one offensive touchdown going into that game, and really hadn't given up much in the first half against the Giants. So they obviously had a defensive collapse, and Bruce Arian said that it was by far the secondary's worst game, and you could see that from the first play of the second half, you know, as a, a throw in the flat to the tight end, uh, Evan Ingram, and he takes it 75 yards. I mean, Vernon Hargraves, I thought, for as much praise as he got the first two weeks, he had he played about as badly as I've seen him play in years. I mean, he was just not a factor Took a bad angle on that, not that that was his guy, Um, but, you know, Ingram's allowed to go 75 yards for a touchdown, and after that, they were pretty much under siege. I mean, they couldn't do a whole lot other than Shaq Barrett or Sack Barrett, you know, getting on top of Daniel Jones four times and and creating a fumble. Jameis wasn't good in the second half. I thought that his interception was something that, uh, you know, was egregious in, in the way he threw it to Mike Evans, but also... You know, I think it affected the play calling. And that's where I think I would pin most of the blame. Look, I go back to the fact that in the fourth quarter they had not scored. And, you know, after Jameis' interception, they had a three-point lead. And they ran the ball six straight times. And they ran it effectively for like 50, 53 yards. And all of those carries were by Ronald Jones, I believe. And then they get to a third-and-two situation inside the 10-yard line. And, you know, your options are, well, we can run it again, and we've been pretty effective doing it. But after six straight carries, they're obviously going to have to honor the run and play the run. And usually inside, you know, the 20-yard line, you get man coverage for the most part because there's just not a lot of field down there to double people. And so, you know, they played a single high safety, and the Bucks put three receivers to the left. They had the tight end on the right side, no O.J. Howard. But Bruce Arians overruled. Uh, Byron left which you wanted another inside run. Arians decided to go with a run pass option where Jameis could either hand it off to Peyton Barber, that was option one, keep the ball himself and run it around the right end option two, or throw the ball to an open receiver, presumably. And, you know, that that was sort of like the whole premise of that play. But Jameis Winston decided and he read the uh you know the end was getting upfield and wasn't wasn't gonna you know be influenced by the by the hand the fake, so he went ahead and gave the ball to Peyton Barber and he was stuffed for no gain. I just think if you come in here as Bruce Arians as the quarterback whisperer as the guy who said I have all the faith in the world in Jameis Winston he's our quarterback this is his team I'm not gonna bring I don't want him looking over his shoulder um, let her rip you know after the the three interception game in the opener. And all of those things have been said. But when you get into a critical situation when points come in the passing game and it's third and two and, and, and a touchdown pretty much puts the game away, with, you know, two, makes it a two-score game with six minutes to play, and you take the ball out of your quarterback's hand for seven straight plays, that's playing around your quarterback. And that is not what Bruce Arians is supposed to be here for. Bruce Arians is supposed to be here to develop this quarterback – Supposed to be here to you know bring out the best in Jameis Winston. Yeah, you want to win games, and you know, but th- that whole aggressive mentality that no risk it, no biscuit, you know, well that, that was all out the window apparently on Sunday. Um, so if you look at that decision, if you look at the way they screwed up, even after they you know obviously the Giants take the lead and a huge defensive gap. Uh, Gaff, I'm sorry, uh, with Daniel Jones running up the middle and, and, you know, no one even putting their eyes on the quarterback and he basically walks in from where he started, like 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then you take that play um, where they're going to kick a field goal and they go down there and they spike it with 13 seconds and the play clock is winding down, but they don't run a play and all they want to do is center the ball from the right hash mark to the middle of the field. And they take a delay game penalty. And that delay game penalty now makes it a 34-yard field goal attempt where he had already missed two extra points. One was blocked from that same, you know, that same distance. And of course he misses it by the slimmest of margins. And five yards, yes, might have gotten that ball through the upright with the same kick. So I blame Bruce Arians. I blame the play calling. I blame the defensive structure. Uh, in the second half, um, not keeping their eyes on a quarterback that had already run for one touchdown. You know, the fact that they had lost Saquon Barkley. I mean, you went in that game and you say, hey, forget Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley's our focus. He's going to be a beast today. And he goes out with an ankle injury in the first half. And you shut him down the first half anyway. All those factors were in your favor. You have to win that football game, especially with the next seven weeks coming up where six games are going to be away from Raymond James Stadium. So... My biggest thing would be Bruce Arians is to blame. He has to wear that. All
0: right, we had a couple questions on the defense, and Zach and Alejandro, and they're both very similar questions. So, is the Bucks D as good as they looked in the first two games or as bad as they looked in the second half of the game against the Giants?
1: Well, somewhere in between, and I know uh, part of that first question we didn't answer was Carlton Davis. I don't think he's going to be replaced, but he's going to have to learn to stop grabbing people. I mean, that seems to be his thing in man coverage. Uh, Even if he has good coverage, he's way too handsy. You know, he's got long arms, and that's an asset, but he has to stop doing that. You know, the old adage in the NFL, you're never as good as as you look. You're never as bad as you look. You're somewhere in the middle. And I think certainly they're better than the group last year that gave up 29 points a game. Um, but you know, San Francisco was limited. I thought in their offensive weapons, uh, really, it was Jimmy Garoppolo's first game back. Um, the running back situation's not really settled there. They basically had a tight end to throw to, and very little else. And so, um, you know, allowing just really one offensive touchdown in that game, I think, is sort of a you know they had a sort of an outlier. You know, and I don't know that that's. I don't know that that's who they are necessarily. They played the run very well. But, again, you know, credit to San Francisco, they're 3-0, so maybe they're better than everybody thinks. And then, you know, at Carolina, um, they did a great job on Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he had been, you know, just dominating, and then even after that game he dominated uh, again on Sunday. Uh, But they they certainly got pressure on Cam Newton, the course, of big day from Shaq Barrett. So they were very, very good. I, I don't know that they're an elite defense. Um, they had been in the top 10 in scoring, I guess, in defense or yards or whatever. But I I think they're closer to probably 15-ish. I think they're middle of the pack, middle of the road. You know, Barrett has been amazing. And I think he's getting a lot of one-on-ones because of Vea and because of Indomicon Sue. But there's no one else coming to the party. I think Ryan Nassib might have one sack. You know, so they, they need to find ways to get more pressure. And... You know, on the back end, they're too inconsistent. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, did some nice things in the first couple games, but, um, you know, you can't have games like the one they had on Sunday where a rookie quarterback shreds you and you have coverage busts in the fourth quarter and things like this. So I think they got to get better on the back end. They got some young players, but they also got some veterans. You know, I mean, again, Vernon Hargrave seemed to make some plays the first two weeks, but was, was god awful in this game this past Sunday. So. They're, they're they're always somewhere in between. I think they're better. I think Todd Bowles is a better defensive coordinator. From what I hear, you know, he's been screaming the right calls out to them and knows what's coming every play. So, you know, but it is a new scheme, and these players, the communication has to be on point, and it just isn't yet. So I, I, I think they're going to end up, before it's all said and done, probably a top 15 defense,
0: but not likely a top 10 defense in my mind anyway. All right, Buck North and Jeff both had similar questions about Bruce Arians. It says, do you believe that Arians is struggling at game management because this is his first head coaching job where he hasn't called plays? And does he really have full confidence in Byron Leftwich when the game is on the line? Well,
1: I don't think it's, he's struggling because he's not calling plays. That was actually um, a choice he made to actually help him in game management. This is the thing that's sort of backwards here is that when we talked to him in March, it was sort of a surprise that he said, you know, everything worked out. It was, you know, the perfect situation for me. You know, he had Jameis Winston, Jason Light. I could get all my coaches back. Oh, and I'm not calling plays. Like what? And and that became a thing with the Glazers. Like they had, he had to do some sell, selling there, you know, because that's obviously what they wanted him for. And you know, he has a lot of trust in Byron Leftwich, and that's fine. But he was supposed to. You know, when he asked Bruce, like, why, what's the benefit to this for you? He says, well. You know, I'll be better if I'm not looking at my play sheet and yelling at the refs every every minute um, in managing game situations. Like I'll be better at that. And look, he's got 39 coaches or whatever, um, just a ridiculous number of coaches and people to help him out, including Larry Rose, who's a former NFL official. And so there's really no reason to to have have these issues cropping up at this point. I mean, he's coached in the NFL for a long time, both as a head coach and a coordinator, and he's coached with these guys. And, you know, to have him and then Todd Bowles call timeout in Carolina and take a fourth and two in the game's biggest play and make it a fourth and one, you know, you fight for every inch in this league. And that that one yard could have been the difference between winning and losing. And they managed to win by less than a yard when McCaffrey was pushed out of bounds by Hargraves. And then, you know, this past Sunday, I'm sorry, but those five yards on the delay game penalty, and here's the thing. First, he said after the game, no, no, that, we, took, we took that penalty on purpose. That was on purpose because, you know, we felt, why get in a hurry? And, and besides, it's an easier kick if you move it back five yards. Well, that's statistically and every other way is a foolish thing to say. It's simply not true. You know, uh, when they moved the field goal back to the 33-yard line, you saw the percentages go from like 99% where it used to be to somewhere in the 80s. So for every yard you go back, the percentages get lower, not higher. I mean, that makes no sense. What he was trying to do, and he amended this on the day after on Monday, what he was trying to do is get the damn ball off the right hash mark. He's got a field goal kicker who they've documented and charted since training camp, for whatever reason, struggles at shorter distances from the right hash mark. So he's trying to center the ball. Um, They let the the play clock run out. They had a substitution. The referee or the umpire was standing over the ball because when you make a substitution late, you got to allow the defense to get their players in response to that. And he felt, you know, five seconds, six seconds, four seconds, whatever, that as the play clock, not, not the actual game clock, but the play clock was winding down that he couldn't snap the ball, take two steps over and take a knee. Like for some reason, that would have been an issue. So he, you know, he took the delay. Um, so that's, that's bad management. I mean, it's bad game management. You got to know the, you got to know your timeouts. They had one timeout. You got to know the down and distance. Um, you know, it's a, it's a drill, a situational football drill. They work on every week in practice. You know, we got to run up, spike the ball, need a field goal to win, um, may have to run another play, take a knee, everybody's lined up. I mean, you drill those things. That's what coaching is about. And so for him not to be prepared, um, yeah, he is struggling with game management in these first two weeks, but I don't think it's because he's not calling plays. It's, it's in spite of the fact that he's not calling plays. He should have, you know, more time to think ahead of these things and make the right calls and he's got lots of help in the you know upstairs so you know I, I don't understand why it's happened but it's happened two weeks in a row
0: Steven tweeted us and says not sure if this is a rhetorical question or not but why have the Bucks struggled over the years to beat rookie journeymen and backup quarterbacks Bucks seem to make them look like all pros whenever they face them
1: well, we, like I said, it always goes back to we can't have nice things here in Tampa Bay. I don't understand it either, but, I mean, Bruce Arians, and for his part, and, until Sunday, and Todd Bowles when he was with the Jets. If you took the games that, that Arians and Bowles with the Jets or Arians and Bowles together in Arizona, they were 9-0 and um, against rookie quarterbacks the last nine times that, you know, Bruce has faced one as a head coach. So this was the outlier for them. The Bucks, not so much. This happens all the time. Doesn't seem to matter who comes in here his first year and starts a game, he seems to win. So, you know, I think that perhaps they underestimated how good Daniel Jones is. And, you know, the one thing I knew, and and they should have known, is he throws for a very high percentage, and he's way more athletic than, obviously, Eli Manning is, which is why he's playing. So you knew they were going to try to get him out side of the pocket, you know, on some bootlegs and some waggles. Um, but he did a re- he did a really good job of standing in there and taking some hits and making good throws and good decisions except for you know, Edwards who had the interception and maybe the game in his hands and dropped it. Um, you know, Jones was not really fooled by anything they threw at him and they threw a lot at him. They came with a lot of blitzes and did a lot of different disguises and coverages and things and he managed to find the right receiver pretty much all the time so i mean i just you know i i credit i credit daniel jones um but i i think daniel jones you're going to find out is going to be a really good nfl quarterback i mean a really good nfl quarterback i've always said this special shows up early you know if you're special You'll you'll see that in a player, even at the quarterback position, pretty darn early, and uh, and Daniel
0: Jones looks like one of those guys that could play a long time and be very very good. All right, Matt asks, with the loss to the Giants and no home games until November tenth, could the Bucks lose the fan base for basically the whole season? Seems to me they would need at least three wins during this away stretch.
1: Well, I mean, out of sight, out of mind, I suppose. Although you know, I'm sure the TV ratings will be good regardless. They have to find a way, I would agree, to try to win half of these games and be relevant when the schedule turns and they come back. I mean, they still have, you know, five home games remaining, uh, and that will be on the back half of the season after November uh, – or uh, on November 10th, starting on November 10th. So, really, you know, the last month and three quarters, you're, you're playing predominantly at home. So, you know, better opponents, easier opponents in some regards. Arizona comes here um certainly you're going to have uh still have Atlanta and New Orleans both at Raymond James so it's a chance to make up some ground so uh, I, I don't know really that they ever lose the fan base to the paying customers that's a different deal um you know, I think we've already seen early in this season that you know whatever their season ticket base is it's it's as low I think as it's been probably since they built the stadium um I you know I see the lower bowl, especially on the east half, is almost exclusively to the visiting, you know, the visiting team. The Giants fans traveled very, very well, so you know, there's not a lot, a whole lot of people in there in that building to begin with. They're, they're close to drawing around fifty thousand as it is, so you know, if they don't do something right, then I guess those crowds could go down depending on their opponent. But um, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, it could be it could be a dark day if they you know if they have a really bad next seven weeks. But if they can keep it close to 500, I think people will come back and um, and you know probably will want to see some football before we get to the holidays. But it's not a, it's a good question. I don't know what what there will be left to cheer for. You know, uh, in that in that instance, it'll be getting close to to the holidays. Like I said, people have other needs and, and want to spend their money other ways. But regardless of whether they went on the road or not, those home crowds that they had for a season opener where you had to have you know, Tim McGraw as, a, as an opening act at 2 o'clock for a free concert, uh, and then you know, the game against the Giants was predominantly uh, at least 50-50 Giants fans and, and not a big crowd. So it's
0: already pretty grim. I don't know it can get much worse. All right, Lionel and Bill had questions about Jameis Winston, and it kind of goes, what do you think are Jameis Winston's chances of getting that second contract? He has a new coaching staff still producing numbers but not getting wins. When you say second contract, I'm gonna assume you mean like a longer term deal
1: beyond one year. I don't know that he's gonna be able to play well enough or win enough games to to warrant that, you know, to warrant that three or six year deal, you know, of a hundred million dollars, that sort of thing. My guess is if he stays healthy and, and puts up numbers, which he's always put up numbers, right? Just the W's haven't been as easy, but if he, you know, plays winning football, I've always felt like this is not a one year deal, you know, with Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston. I don't think Bruce came here at sixty six to just coach him one season. If I had to guess, they have the franchise tag available to them. It'll be another five million dollars on top of the, you know, almost twenty one million he makes now at least, perhaps north of that. But it's still not a commitment beyond one season. And so I think that you know, they'll probably give him two thousand and twenty if he if he plays more like he did, you know, on Sunday against the Giants than he did in the season opener against San Francisco. I think he gets at least another year. But there's no there's no absolutes. Let's see what the record is. Let's see where they're drafting. You know, they'd have to lose an awful lot of games to, you know, sort of be picking in that area where there might be a young quarterback that's worthy of a first round pick or a high first round pick. So all that all that kind of factors into it, um, but I don't think the chance of him signing a long-term deal, like he would like, and and frankly, like all of just about the elite, uh, you know, quarterbacks that came out a year after him in 2016, you don't know, have signed um, longer-term deals. So, you know, he, he was a year earlier in 15 and still has it. And the same is true with Marcus Mariota. Now, you know, if you ask me about that situation, I say there's no way is going to be back under any circumstance, franchise or otherwise, in Tennessee. just don't think he's played well enough. And so um, with Jameis, however, I, I mean, I expect him, if he stays healthy, to put up good numbers. And, you know, again, I, the record has not necessarily been the be-all, end-all with Jameis in the past. I don't necessarily think it'll be this time because I think Arians wants to continue working with him.
0: All right, Aaron and Mike submitted questions about the kicking game, and Aaron asked... How buck-like is it that this organization gave up on years ago, a guy they gave up on years ago, was free for the taking, yet instead of ending the curse and signing Matt Bryant, they draft another kicker, let go of Cairo Santos, who looks great with the Titans, and they're back to square one.
1: Well, that's just sort of what it's been. It's a little like quarterbacks. You know, you have teams that have a kicker and those that are looking for one. And, you know, the Bucks again, took the path of let's draft, let's draft a guy. Now, when you do that, you got to live with the hiccups, you know. You got to live with, uh, you know, the big moments. Maybe not right away, anyway. Rising to them, and he certainly let a huge opportunity go away against him, against the Giants on Sunday. Uh, Matt Bryant was available. I talked to the Bucks about Matt Bryant. He wanted, he would have come here. It was going to cost them, you know, what it cost the Falcons—some three million dollars. They didn't have much salary cap room at the time. They were still, you know, in the process of letting guys like Gerald McCoy go, and their priorities were re-signing in Sue. Sioux. They liked Cairo Santos, and they had him in here, and they even signed Bradley Pinion and paid him $3 million a year because he could kick off, and that would be a, a help to Santos, who doesn't have the strongest leg, especially kicking off. But then they drafted Matt Gay, and they thought this guy was special, and they watched him in training camp, and, boy, he was awfully impressive, and he's got an incredibly strong leg. The problem is you don't know what you don't know. You know, until a guy gets out there in a real NFL game like he did on Sunday, and everything's on the line, and you know you've got you know 47 guys that have fought tooth and nail, and 46 guys, and then you you run out there, and you know you miss the game winner. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. So, yeah, you know, could you have picked up Matt Bryant? The problem was with Matt Bryant is. And it's a long season. He has not made it through a season in, in quite a number of years. You know, he's at an age where um, you know, he seems to get hurt more frequently. Um, you know, the leg strength is still there, but not not as accurate necessarily from, from the, the 50 yards plus. But I think the big concern was, okay, so we pay Matt Bryant $3 million. He starts the season as our kicker. And then at some point he gets hurt for four or five weeks. Now we have to use another roster spot to hire another kicker to kick until Bryant is healthy again. And that's sort of the game they just didn't want to play with Matt. So we'll see if he makes it through a whole year, what kind of year he has with Atlanta. I know he's glad to be back. But, again, this was an opportunity, no, no absolutes, obviously, but an opportunity to find a kicker for the next 10 years. You know, And they just think that Matt Gay is a special talent. He does have talent.
0: He simply didn't come through the clutch on Sunday. You'll have asked – do you think there's ever a chance that the Glazers will order a full rebuild, i.e. the Dolphins? As if, And if so, what should happen before they make this kind of decision? And then secondly, a second part, will seven or eight wins this season be a, quote, arrow-pointing-up kind of season for the Glazers? Well, they've done the rebuild uh, in the past, and it, it didn't
1: work. And, you know, they did it. We've talked about it many times on this podcast, you know, when Raheem Morris was hired as the head coach. They had John Gruden under contract for three more years. He had made the playoffs the previous season and, you know, was 9-3 and before losing four in a row in 2008, and then three weeks went by, and lo and behold, they fired him and Bruce Allen. It was a real shock, not just to the fans but to John Gruden himself. And, you know, the stated reason, and, you know, there's some truth to the fact that They'd grown tired of John and and having free agents and building the team so heavily through free agents and having a different set of players every year. Um, You know, the stated reason was they wanted to build through the draft. Well, every team builds through the draft. I mean, you know, the New England Patriots have seven picks like everybody else, and they try to parlay that into more, and uh, they get young players, and they develop them, and, you know, they've managed to win six Super Bowls. So just because you're on top doesn't mean you're not trying to develop through the draft, but, uh, they rid themselves of a bunch of high salary, you know, guys, including, you know, iconic players like Derek Brooks. And, you know, when they went through that, they saved money on the salary cap. They, there was no salary cap for three years. They made a ton of money as a franchise because the players they had were very, very young and not making any big money. But that was Josh Freeman's era. You know, that was, um, Kind of the parade of coaches from Raheem Morris to, you know, Greg Ciano. And then, you know, finally when Lovey Smith got here, Freeman had already had already left. So, you know, as far as tearing it up, I mean, they've they've got a core of some guys that they've re-signed already, the Donovan Smiths and Ali Marpetts and you know, Mike Evans and and these kind of guys. And I don't think that you're gonna walk away from them necessarily right away. Now, some of them, if they come up for contracts in the next three, four years, yeah, maybe, but, you know, there's such a core of, of decent and to good players here to even a couple of great ones like Mike Evans under contract that I don't think it'll be a total rebuild. Um, I could be wrong. I know Bruce Arians at 66, he said it, I'm not here to rebuild, I'm here to reload. I mean, he, you know, he is, he is not young enough uh, to go through what Miami's going through right now. But I think you'll see more teams do what Miami has done. I just don't think I just don't think the Glazers are right now, at least thinking that way. And I could be wrong. We could see what happens if they, you know, move on from Jameis Winston and want to position themselves, say, for a certain quarterback at Clemson in two years. I mean, we don't know, you know, so I don't I don't foresee that though. I, I think they want to win. I think they want to win with Jameis. I think that's why Bruce Arians is here. They could have taken the route of Miami after last season and hired themselves a newbie coach and, you know, gotten rid of Jameis and some other players, and they decided not to. So I think they, they plan on pushing forward. As far as seven or eight wins, you know, tell me how they get there. I mean, they're sitting here at one and two as we speak. Do they win five of their last seven? Do they go through this prolonged slump, and then when they come back from England, they tear it up, and you say, oh, well, if not for that horrible NFL schedule, this team would have been really good. Uh, or do they, you know, do they get to, you know, six and whatever and then lose their last five? I mean, you know, so all of that matters, right? Perception uh, is reality. And so if you finish strong, there's always a perception that the arrow is up. Let's see how they play. Let's see how the season goes. But I don't think you can just look at a record and say if they win seven or if they win eight. Clearly it's an improvement over five the last two years. I mean, it's a significant improvement at eight games. So I don't think you'd say it's, it's headed down, but might not be as much improvement as they wanted.
0: All right. Well. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Go to baseball now. And Bob asked, where does this year's Rays team rank against other Rays sides?
1: Steve, you and I were talking about this a little before the podcast and uh, reading through the questions, and, and this was a really fascinating one. Of course, the story still has to be told, right? But um, just sort of looking at what the Rays have done in the past, currently 93 wins ranks third, I think, all time uh, among Rays teams, the best being 2008 when they won 98 games. 97. Or 97 games, yep. I'm sorry. And they, they could get there this year. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as matching the wins, now, I think you know if they don't make it to the wild card or go deep into the playoffs, I don't think you'd say that that's the best team. I think the team that's still the you know the north Star is, is, is the team that went to the World Series. But as far as you know to me, they've already placed themselves well within the top three, if not the top two. I would say this might have been the, the best year since Madden's team went to the World Series simply because they've had so many injuries. Um, you know, one starting pitcher for most of the year. So many guys come in here and contribute in, in unexpected ways. You know, the Travis Darno's and that sort of thing. The trade, of course, that brought Glass now and Austin Meadows here. And it's just, it's a team that won't die. I mean, you know, so many times they look like they were out of it. The Yankees were so strong. The Red Sox were division, you know, uh, defending world champions. And they've just, you know, here we are down to the last week or so, and they're chugging along trying to trying to find their way into the postseason. So, I mean, I think it's one of the best years that I've seen. How do you feel about it? you see these guys every day,
0: just about? I mean, I, look, it's is it better than the thirteen and those teams and eleven? I think so. That made mm-hmm. the wild card. Is it better than oh eight? I think. I think you have to, you know, I mean, the one thing that they did in 08 and 10 is they won the division. Right. Um, That's they're right. not going to this year. The Yankees have already clinched the AL East. Um, That's right. But, you know, is it top three? I think so. I mean, you might be able to yeah. say it's better than the 10. And I think, look, postseason matters. So how they do in the post, if they make the postseason, That's and right. how they do will impact how we think of this team going down the road. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a heck of a regular season and for all the reasons of, from injuries to starting pitching to, I mean, you name it, uh, you know, you're all of a sudden your lights out closers, Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado, your eighth and ninth inning guys going the tank for half the season and Alvarado, you know, who knows where he's, what he's doing at this point. You know, you look at all that and go, how, how are they still in this? And and we're taping this Tuesday before the the game against the Yankees. So they have five games to go at this point and could get to 98 Mm -hmm. wins. That's incredible. And it the scary part is, is they yeah. could get to ninety six or ninety seven wins and not make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: which would be you know, or if Cleveland gets there, I mean, you know, one of these teams—Oakland, Cleveland, and the Rays—are going to have a heck of a season and not. I mean, the Rays last year ninety and didn't make it, but it right. may be ninety five and not make it this year. Ninety six.
1: Yeah, and it's happened before where teams have won. Uh, you know. <clears throat> as many as 100 games, I think, different formats. But not with not with
0: the- five playoff teams and two wild Right, cards. not with I five. Mean,
1: That's correct. You know, that That's was back correct. in
0: the day you had to win your division or you're not in. That's right.
1: That's right. Now, let me – I will say this. Even if, let's say, Cleveland and or the A's um, just absolutely collapse and the Rays win two more games, you know, out of their last five or whatever, it's still, it's still an unbelievable year. In other words, they played so well this last month, month and a half, that whoever, whichever team, the Indians, the A's, the Rays, whoever gets in, they will have earned it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the other teams do now. You're down to your last week, yep. and, you know, you're sitting here, 93 wins. If you win 94 and get in, or 95, you've earned it, you know, because they've, just, they've had to play so many great games. And, um, you know, you think about the three walk-off, three extra inning games, and, um, you know, just,
0: just all the, the tension That they've, you know, every pitch, every inning is. And how far has this team come? Where at the beginning of the year, they were awful in one and two run games, and they had to get big leads early, or they didn't win the game. And and they were scoring a lot in the first inning and getting leads, which, when your pitching staff's built the way it is, it helps. So you get the big leads, and then you hold on, and you know, or you put the game out of reach early, and, and, and you win. Of late, it doesn't matter if they're down; they come back. And, and the belief in this team and the energy of this team, you know, it, it's it, you know it's it's so fun to watch that you know uh, just Monday night they're you know down four nothing to Boston, and you're going hey, here we go again because the night before they went down four nothing you got within four three and then Boston got a couple more runs and, and ended up winning that game Sunday so you know you get to the fourth inning Monday night Boston's up four nothing again and you get three home runs in the in the fourth inning for a six run inning and you take the six four lead and end up t- winning the game. I mean, they're, they're never out of it, and you have to love that about this team. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, Cognitively Dissonant asked, is it just me or is Blake Snell morphing into Scott Kazmir, Slow between pitches with diminishing efficiency. I think it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> whoever, whoever you are, Cognitively
1: Dissonant, no offense. I Look, I suppose it could happen, but, I mean, they're, you know, Blake Snell's not an <laughs> abillion Personality, a bullient personality, whatever you want to say. He just he kind of doesn't wear his emotions on the sleeves, right? He's fairly placid out there, fairly in control. But he had a major injury. I mean, this guy is just you know, trying to make his way back.
0: He doesn't seem pitch, like he's got all him. four pitches back. He's no, he's throwing he, two pitches, and and he's a four pitch pitcher, which leads yeah, me to believe he's re- not healthy. No, he, he's not
1: healthy, and he's not confident, and he doesn't. And, and think about. You know, you go back to spring training. Like, there's a reason why there's spring training. It's not necessarily for the position players, because I think they could come out and start playing much sooner than they do. Although they all want a certain number of bats, fifty at bats or whatever. But it's really because the pitchers and they have to build themselves up. You know, from a from an arm standpoint, an inning standpoint, strength, um, control. You know, uh, getting the, the feel the feel for their pitches, all four pitches, so they can throw them for strikes. And he is a four-pitch pitcher. And so now he's just kind of jumping in midstream, not even midstream, but like a pennant race. And so you know, there's a lot of pressure on every start right now. We didn't know how he's going to follow up that Cy Young award year, and, and we'll, now we'll never know because he didn't get off to the best start a year ago when he won the Cy Young. It was the last two months where he was virtually unbeatable. So I, I would pump the brakes on the Scott Casimir comparisons just yet and, and I have I did I lose Scott Kazmir Cy Young award uh, someplace in my house like where did I miss the year that he won that thing did you drop it on your toe yeah, yeah I, well that too <laughs> maybe 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 I dropped it on my toe but yeah I mean I think Blake Snell is going to be a really really great pitcher for years to come I think he's closer to David Price than he is Scott
0: Casimir, If that I makes think sense. yeah I think the injuries this year and multiple injuries over the course of the season just not a good season for him, but I don't, yeah. I don't no, I don't think he's becoming Scott Casimir. All right. Brian asked, given the Rays' willingness to try out-of-the-box strategies, would they be able to have the DH hit for a field position instead of the pitcher? Specifically, could Brendan McKay hit instead of the catcher, Mike Zanino?
1: Well, Steve, you looked this up. The answer is no. I thought it was no. I, I thought that at minimum, like in other leagues uh, that I've been witness to, no, you're not. The major leagues, of course, have their rule that you can only DH for the pitcher. But even in the case of, uh, you know, let's say, I mean, it, what happens if you 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 pinch hit for the DH? Right, he still becomes the DH. Then you don't lose the
0: DH. Correct.
1: I don't. I, there's there's really no scenario. If the
0: DH goes in the field, then you lose the DH. But,
1: yeah. If he goes in the field, you lose him. You can right. pinch hit and for him,
0: and no problem. But if he goes right. into the it's... field, you can choose. But you can't. If Brendan McKay's pitching, you can choose not to use a DH, and he's going to hit.
1: He's just going to hit, but you can't DH for the catcher. Correct. The the rule specifically
0: says for the starting pitcher and all pitchers thereafter. That's right. So, yeah, in this instance, uh,
1: the answer is no. You 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 cannot do
0: that. It's not allowed
1: by Major League rules.
0: Now, with Shohei Otani and Brendan McKay, and there's some other pitchers in the minors that are also hitters, could baseball at some point change that rule to where you could DH for somebody could. else? I suppose it's possible in the future. I suppose if the Yankees get one of those uh, guys, then they would change the rule.
1: Well, you're saying the Yankees run baseball?
0: I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they should
1: do, quite frankly, is get rid of the pitchers hitting in the National League, for goodness sakes. Let's just use a DH everywhere. You know? it's I, Nobody wants to watch a pitcher hit. Unless, Unless it's Brendan McKay, too. If you saw that home well, run, well, right. I mean, or, yeah, or Otani. I mean, there are guys. I'm saying, like, you know, virtually, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Even the numbers are skewed. Like, if you pitch in the American, if you pitch in the American League versus the National League, so I've got four outs basically, you know, every game that I should get because the pitchers have to hit. They can pinch hit, obviously, but then you're losing the use of the pitcher. But I'm just saying, like. No one no one really wants to see a pitcher hit unless you're as talented as Brendan McKay. And, you know, even then, let's see if he can do it with any consistency. But, yeah, I just think – I don't know why baseball – it's one of the things that, you know, you scratch your head about baseball, right? Like, it's like if you're in the – if you're, like, in the NBA and the ABA merged or something and it had a three-point line in one league, but, oh, no, no, and then when you're playing – you
0: know, the Atlanta Hawks against so and so, it's all, the three point line well, doesn't exist. Like, but baseball has how you it, do that? Baseball has it with the ballparks. I mean, if you're in Yankee Stadium, your home run totals are inflated compared to if you, you know, hit in Petco Park in San Diego. I mean, every field is different as it is in baseball. So that's part of isn't that part of the uniqueness of baseball that not everything is, is identical? I mean, every soccer field is the exact same dimensions. Every hockey rink, every football field, all those sports are played on the exact same surfaces. No matter which arena you go to, which stadium you go to, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're saying everything, and granted, I'm not saying that, that having a DH or is it because I think you should just get rid of the DH and bat eight players and let everyone bat more often, but mm-hmm. but in, 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 for baseball, every park is different. So the game, I mean, when if you're going to say stats are inflated in the American League, well, they're inflated in Yankee Stadium for hitters. I mean, you got that short porch uh, and right field. as a left-handed hitter yeah. in Yankee Stadium. I mean. Your your numbers are hugely inflated. If you're at Coors Field, I'd, I'd, your numbers are I'd be all Yeah,
1: I'd be all for – well, that's – well, you yeah, know, but I'd, I'd be all for, for tearing down the green monster too. Make all the stadiums the same. 400 to center, 335 down the lines, 375 in the foul rallies. I'm cool with that. All right. <laughs> I mean, you make a good point, but it but it's still – strategically, it's a different mm-hmm. game. I mean, strategically, you know, I don't have to take a – you know – yeah, the ballparks might be different, and that the, all, all everything you said there is true. But like, I have to take a pitcher out of the game and decide whether I want a better offensive player to take his spot in the lineup, which makes mm-hmm. no sense to me, you know. And then even in the postseason, right in the World Series, but in the National League Park, my guy, I have a different ball club,
0: right? Well, but, but if you are a National League playing in the American League Park, it's a different ball club. You are not used to having a DH in there, you're, and your bench isn't built to have a DH every day either. So I mean, there's oh, advantages you, to both. What I'm saying is, there's advantages in. to both. Well, but, but I mean, when you set up your team at the beginning of the season, I mean, there's a lot of clubs. Cincinnati, you know, when when they built their the new park, a Great American Ballpark, they learned the ball flies out of there. Mm-hmm. The fly ball pitchers were not the best pitchers for that ballpark. They have to change right. the personnel they have. Well, so the National League, if you're going in at the beginning of the season, you're not you're not putting your bench together to have a a, a DH that. You know, a traditional DH that may hit 40 home runs or whatever else that some teams do. Yeah, and the
1: same is true of the American League. If right.
0: he has to go to the National League, all of a sudden I've lost the use of one of my best offensive right. weapons. I mean, everyone sits there and says North the American North League's West. at the disadvantage in the World Series. But in the American League parks, the National League's at the disadvantage because they're not built with a DH in mind. That's not how they build their but team. And so maybe not with a DH in mind, but you still have a pretty
1: good hitter that you could put in a lineup that it might be an advantage because you have a guy that would normally – you know, I can only hit eight guys, you might have a good yeah, you might. platoon guy you might. That, that you could put you know, might might help you offensively. Right. You know, he's not a great defensive player, but you play him and you sacrifice that defense when you play him. But now I'm in a postseason and you know, voila, all he has to do is get up there and swing the bat. We're we're better off for it. So yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, and there is no symmetry like, you know, continuity in baseball like there should be. I just I, I, I don't know. I every level of baseball even in the minor leagues, uses a DH. Mm-hmm. The only ones that don't is a Major League Baseball. And it makes no sense to me. It never has. We'll debate this later on.
0: <laughs> coming this to a, a future podcast.
1: Show. Yes, coming to a new... And we'll also talk about whether Pete Rose should get in the Hall of Fame. We'll take your calls
0: after this. <laughs> it's an old joke from uh, Cincinnati days of a friend of mine. That's that's... Right. <laughs> he was getting ready to host his first show ever on the uh, Reds flagship station and... So we're asking if he's nervous and what he's going to talk about. And he was hosting the post game show of the, the Red, after the Reds broadcast, and he says, "Oh yeah." And he goes through this whole big buildup of everything he's going to do, and the open's going to play, and highlights going to play in this. And he says, "I'm going to go." Pete Rose sucks. Seven four nine seven thousand one hundred. The big one. Back after this. <laughs> and oh, you'll get that. There be, will be calls. Yeah, you'd be three <laughs> hours of calls. You'd be fine in Cincinnati. No problem. So. <laughs> yep, it's a way to do it. Absolutely. Well, Carl asked, should Joe Madden be fired? And has his act played out in Chicago? And will he get a new gig or do TV?
1: Gee, for a minute, I thought he was still managing the Rays. I've done this question, too. That was right up there with Pete Rose for a while. Um, Joe Madden is not going to be fired. Joe Madden doesn't have a contract. (laughs) So he is unemployed at the end of this season, which looks like it'll be the end of the regular season because I don't believe the Cubs are going to make it to the postseason. And it's too bad. And I think uh, the Cubs will be worse for it, but they won't know it for a while. Um, I don't think Joe's going to do TV. I think he wants to manage. If I'm not mistaken, he's talked about that. He'll have lots of. And offers. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there'll be any shortage of places where he can go, including. And wouldn't this be interesting if he stayed right there in Chicago, Ooh. and walked to the south side and managed the uh, a young and actually, fairly talented White Sox team in the same city, and could compete for the headlines there. You know, I was in Chicago um, back in July, I guess it was, and and they had just – you know, they they were in first place at that time in their division by about a half a game, but they hadn't played well. They had gone like 22 and 28 to finish the first half, and I think it was right around the All-Star break, and the radio in Chicago was just one call after another, you know. Hey, what do we do? Uh, What are we going to do? Should we fire Joe Madden? And I think at that time Buster Olney had come out and said that – You know, there was talk about big changes, including Madden and all this. Of course, ultimately, they didn't make a change at the All-Star break, and they came out, and I think they won seven or eight in a row. But now, of course, it looks, you know, it's gone the other way. But some White Sox fans called in, and they said, let me get this straight. I sit here, and I listen to your show, and, you know, the White Sox are, you know, not having a good year, of course, and they haven't for a while. And it's like, so you guys have three... MVP caliber players on this team, you know, Chris Bryan and Anthony Rizzo and you know Baez and all this stuff. And then you've got um you've got you know a a, you've been in the postseason every year since Joe Madden arrived, and you won a World Series for the first time in 108 years, but you want to fire the manager? Like, hey, we're a White Sox over here. Like, we think maybe your expectations are just been a little too high lately. Like, you're just a little high. And, you you remember what the Cubs were before all this occurred? And it kind of coincided when Madden got there. So, there is this sort of, like, Madden fatigue syndrome, which we certainly witnessed in Tampa as well, that has occurred in Chicago. And, and look, I blame Theo Epstein because I don't know what Joe's supposed to do the other night. You know, they were playing a game, and they, they scored eight runs, and they lost nine to eight. And I don't think it was because he took out the good pitchers.
0: I just don't think he had any. By the way, you know, Craig Kimbrell, had, who they signed, oof. a lot of teams thinking that he didn't sign with them, probably including the Rays.
1: Including the Rays, that's he, right.
0: Kimbrell's yeah, given been up been nine home awful. runs this year, which is his career mm-hmm. high, and he didn't start until late June. And he was on spending a little time on the DL. He's been god-awful. So,
1: they, I mean, he's not even really – they're de facto closer. And so, you know, it's, he's going he's gonna to move on. I think he will manage. In fact, I'm fairly sure of it. I would look also at the Phillies as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Padres you know, are
0: a really good possibility.
1: And I was going to say, California, you know, he spent an awful lot of time out there with the Angels. And so those are sort of his places, you know, Chicago, Pennsylvania, obviously, I don't think he'd go to Pittsburgh, but I think I the Phillies. The, I
0: thought the Mets were a possibility. Mets now, I've heard, now but then now they've, they've started winning in that. So I think, yeah, that's, but uh, you know, I think a guy like Joe Madden could take some of the back page headlines from the Yankees. Oh, he could. And we, we know New York is all about, is all about
1: competing for that space. Right. So it's oh, very important to them. Yeah. But I personally, my selfish wish is that he stays in Chicago and, and just like takes the white Sox to a world series. Cause the other thing the caller says is, you know, yeah, we had one manager who took the team to a world series he can't even get a job in baseball, <laughs> you know. Like Ozzie guy and nobody even wants to talk to the guy. So you know, at least Joe
0: is wanted by other people. Yeah, the one thing though, and I, the one thing I don't think Madden would take the White Sox job is all of a sudden Rick Renteria get fired for a second time because he was available. Well, I didn't think about that. If you remember the Cubs. You know, had Rick Renteria, they were happy with him, but Madden became available. They then fired Renteria and hired Madden. Well, Renteria is coaching the White Sox now, or managing the White Sox.
1: Well, look, that's one way to look at it, but the other way to look at it is, hey, the last team that fired
0: this guy as manager won the World Series. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying the White Sox wouldn't do that. I'm saying I don't know if Joe <laughs> Madden would do that. I know,
1: Joe. I'm taking a guy's <laughs> job twice. Yeah, well... I don't know. I mean, that would be – yeah, that would be a little clumsy. But the Chicago thing I think yes. would be cool. Look, he's he's got a restaurant right outside of Wrigleyville. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you literally walk out the door and it's
0: right there. Yep. So it'll be – like I, said, I think he'll be gone, and I don't think – look, I don't know in the clubhouse if his act has worn out in Chicago. And, and that's – sure, it's a possibility, but I also don't think Theo Epstein gave him a very good roster. I mean, he's got some hitters, but the pitching staff is not what it needs to be. All right, we'll move to college football now. And Les asks, does Felipe Frank's injury guarantee that he comes back for his senior season? Heard some rumblings he might enter the draft after this year. And is Trask good enough for the Gators to compete against the likes of Georgia and LSU? From what I've seen of
1: Trask, I think he's done fairly well, More surprisingly better than I thought he would. So the way the offense has run, I think it's been very efficient. I think he's hit the open receivers. I think he's getting the ball to his playmakers and getting it out there on time. You know, Felipe Franks had this, you know, NFL arm, NFL body athleticism and a little bit of attitude to go with it, but he's also prone to making the big mistake, and he was not off to a good start. I think they would have lost that game for whatever reason against Kentucky had he stayed in there. And so I don't know what chance, really good chance Florida had at – Beating Georgia in the first place. Now LSU looks like the real deal to me with with uh, you know Burrow as their quarterback. But I I like what Trask has done and and I don't whatever the Gators are going to become, they're not going to be anything less. I don't think necessarily because Felipe Franks isn't leading them. Even though you know the, he's well respected and a lot of guys you know looked at him as the leader and that sort of thing. But Trask has been there and he's paid his dues, and those players know that too, and they've seen how he's played. I mean, I just don't think he could play better. So if he keeps this up, as far as Frank's future goes, you know, he's he's got about a nine-month injury, so that takes him all the way to about next spring, and he'll have to make a decision. Don't, don't rule out a transfer either. I mean, well, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, a lot of guys get to that point. If Trask is established, and they also have a freshman quarterback that they're playing as well, that they gotta continue to involve in the offense or they're going to lose him, he'll be in the transfer portal and they don't want him to be. So, yeah, I, I mean, you might see Franks as one of these guys, like a horny Brooke that went to Florida State or, you know, even though, of course, the greatest example was Russell Wilson, um, who was replaced by Mike Lennon, ended up at Wisconsin and, and did very, very well, took him to a, you know, to a Rose Bowl there. So, you know, I, I don't know what his future is. I wouldn't say that he's done necessarily at Florida, depending on how the rest of the year goes, but I could also see him transferring. I, 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 don't, I guess I don't know, but my guess is that if Trask plays well, Felipe Franks will probably look for someplace else to go, I would imagine, unless he wants to compete and get his bet job back. That's, that's possible.
0: All right, well, Mike asked, and you mentioned this guy. He says, James Blackman or Alex Hornibrook?
1: I watched Hornibrook a long time in Wisconsin, and you know he's got a lot of experience. I think he started over 40-something games there. The thing about him is I don't think he's, gonna, he's going to be the guy that's going to take you really deep. Um, not that Florida State is going anywhere this year. But he's a fifth-year senior. Um, he plays good in short spurts. He can hit 12 in a row, and then he can miss 14 in a row. And I think he's probably got a lot of playmakers on offense. He had some at Wisconsin too. So to me, Blackman was a guy that had the team's support you know, it would be hard for Hornibrook to come in there and, you know, he'd have to be Russell Wilson-like to, to take that over from a guy that was entrenched a little bit as a starter with his teammates. So I think Hornibrook's in the right role. I think that backup, you know, off the bench, um, all that experience is, is sort of what, what he is. But I think Blackman still has a lot more upside, if that makes sense, and he's a little more athletic too. But I think people will be impressed by how Hornybrook plays during these next few weeks because, you know, he, he too will get the ball to the playmakers. He understands what – you know, he's seen everything. Um, he's going to be poised. Been in a lot of big games. You know, Wisconsin played a lot of big games in the Big Ten, championship games and others. So, I think, I think Hornybrook would do well, but there's a reason I think they picked Blackman
0: as their starter. All right, Mac asked Any chance that FSU buys out Willie Taggart? I still remember Tom Jones relaying a quote by someone, quote, USF is too big for Willie. Whoever said that was right, and I wish the people in Oregon and Florida had listened, over his head.
1: Well, from what I hear, it's $18 million, and they don't have it. They're broke. So, you know, unless somebody wins the lottery among those boosters that, that really wants them out of there, doesn't seem, it seems to me, Steve, that he's going to win enough games. I don't know if they'll be bowl eligible, but there's a chance they win six. And, you know, clearly if they do... Yeah, the good That'll, news for him the, is the
0: ACC is not good. It's terrible. Take yeah, out Clemson. Clemson. And it's, yeah, it's not good.
1: I mean, they could beat any of these teams, you know, that they're going to play here in the ACC. They just need to finish on defense. I think Jim Levitt's going to make a difference. You know, we saw them finish the game the right way after losing the lead late um, the other day against Louisville. So let's see if they turn a the corner. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Willie is going to take them to the national championship. That seems far-fetched to me. I do think maybe it's too big for him. Um, Whatever too big means, I mean I you know recruiting or you know whatever whatever that thing is at Florida State, but it's not gone well, but I bet it goes well enough for him to get another year that that's my gut until until that buyout becomes smaller and then they won't waste any time after this year, but I, I think he gets
0: this year, don't you?: I do, and we can ask Matt Baker that tomorrow on the podcast, so
1: oh, that's a great segue. you like that? I like that. You're like a radio
0: guy. Yeah. Maybe Jim Harbaugh will take that job.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm interested to see where Herb goes. Where do you think Herb's going to go? For, Notre, for a Notre minute there, it looked like USC. Notre That's what I think. That's what I think.
0: Brian That's Kelly will go pro. Brian Kelly has been
1: trying to go to the NFL for the last five years. Yep. He can't get anybody to hire him. In fact, when the Bucks were going through these, yeah, I think Chip Kelly race, ruined
0: that for a lot of guys.
1: I do too. And it's again another guy named Kelly, but. Um, when the Bucks were going through this uh, this search committee and you know the the fraud that was trying to hire a new head coach when they really had Arians in their pocket, Brian Kelly, I got a call from David Haw, who's a columnist there at the Chicago Tribune now, now on a sports radio station there. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes newspaper people make the best radio people as well. But apparently, really? um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I heard that. So apparently, David talked to some people who knew Chip very well, or knew um, Brian Kelly very well and said. There's some NFL teams sniffing around. I think the Bucks are one of them. Well, I don't think the Bucks were one of them. I think maybe the the search firm was compiling a list of you know possible people. But my the word was that Kelly is very interested in coming to the NFL. That he just feels like I you know I I can only do with what I can do here at Notre Dame with the type of student athlete they have to have and so forth. And he's done a good job, but he'd like to try his hand you know at the NFL at some point. And so. Yeah, to me, Urban Meyer, Notre Dame's a special place for him. So I, I could I could definitely see him doing that. Um he's gonna go to one of those big, you know, fabled schools like that.
0: Can that, he resurrect Tennessee?
1: No, hell no. <laughs> he's smarter than that. And I don't think he'd want to play I I don't think he'd want to be in the SEC again. I don't really I think there's a reason why he got out of the SEC and his name's Nick Saban. <laughs> so and he's well, not going to Alabama. He was
0: pretty he was pretty successful against Saban.
1: He was, but I think that was early saving. Now not so much. Yeah, I mean, how, how many
0: know. more years of saving gonna do that?
1: Nah, well I mean, it's true. That's true. Guy George is pretty good though too. Uh, yes. Kirby right. Smart. Kirby
0: Smart's very good.
1: Yeah. But anyway, it's a tough league. But yeah, Notre Notre Dame to me is his gotta be on it. But people were talking seriously about USC too, and I don't know I don't know how Herb feels about USC. He coached
0: he coached out that out west before, right? At Utah. Utah, yeah after he was a Bowling Green in Utah, went undefeated, had Alex Mm -hmm. Smith at undefeated Utah. Right. It'll be interesting, but he's definitely coaching again.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. This is just his one-year TV hiatus, so I can publicly campaign for jobs without Askley trying to submarine a guy. Yep. All right, so speaking of college football, as we mentioned a minute ago, Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times will join us tomorrow. Of course, uh, it is a busy week. The Rays... We'll wrap up their two-game series against the evil empire of the New York Yankees tonight. And the Bucs are back at practice getting ready for their game against the Los Angeles Rams as we head west. We'll talk to Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston. Thanks for listening. Uh, we we'll hope to have you guys back. We're here every Monday through Friday. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Have Ever a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row.